Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Police officers don't like Measure 110. That's the headline from a recent study by researchers at Portland State University. Now, it's not exactly a surprise that law enforcement would be skeptical of this voter-passed law that took away one of their major tools to respond to the use of illegal drugs. But the reasons behind their misgivings say something about the implementation of Measure 110 and the future of criminal justice reforms in Oregon and potentially around the country. Christopher Campbell is an associate professor of criminology at Portland State University and a co-author of this new study, and he joins me now. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Why did you start with law enforcement for this first study of a series of three total studies? So the primary reason why we started with law enforcement was largely because people who are using substances are typically coming in contact often with law enforcement, and it can be the most consequential contact that they'll have. And on top of that, if we really want to know how well Measure 110 is actually doing, uh, then we need to know how it's being implemented on the ground. And so getting the perspective and the experiences of the line officers is going to be pretty critical in that. You talked to 23 law enforcement officers across 10 agencies in rural and urban areas. Um, you kept them anonymous, uh, along with the counties they're in, I guess, to, to make it easier for them to talk with you. Was it hard to find officers or sheriff deputies who wanted to talk to you about this? Um, it was a little challenging, I think, at first. Um, and once we got the ball rolling a little bit and we started using what's no, often known as a snowball sample, and we would get someone in, uh, in contact with one of the brass or the uh, supervisors, and we talked to them about what we're asking about, and then they would tell their line officers, yeah, you can talk to these people. It seems th- it's going to be fine. And so we would have a little bit more buy-in, or we'd have line officers actually saying, can I go talk to these people because I have something to say? Hmm. What were the main themes that emerged from these series of conversations? So there were five main themes. Um, and instead of like breaking them down because it would take a little little bit of time to break each one of them down, we kind of bung them together in, in kind of like three major takeaways. And one of which is that officers are largely skeptical about Measure 110's ability to motivate people to actually uh, voluntarily seek treatment. So as a result, they're hesitant to actually provide the citations that Measure 110 requires them to do. As a quick review, Measure 110, of course, requires officers, when they come across a uh, someone's using a substance, they're supposed to give them a $100 citation, essentially akin to a traffic ticket. And then the person is supposed to take that traffic ticket and citation and call a, a hotline called Lines for Life and ask, you know, essentially tell them this is what happened. Lines for Life gives them this assessment, and then the person uh, either takes the treatment or doesn't. It's up to them. And then they call the courts with the information that they got from Lines for Life, and then the courts can waive the $100 fine. That's how it's supposed to work. Essentially, yeah. And so um, when we talk about hesitancy among officers to actually issue citations, that can be a rather kind of a big problem, right? Because now we have no real metric of understanding how often officers are actually coming across people using substances. Why did they say they're hesitant to issue citations? So uh, a lot of it is because they're really skeptical about how people are actually going to be voluntarily seeking treatment. They're going to say, they often say, well, we might give them the citation, they'll wad it up and throw it back at us. Or they might say that, you know, 
um, I've come across this person two or three times, and this woman has, you know, I've given her two or three citations, uh, and I've come across her like more like 50 times. I know where she's at. I know where she's going to be using. And I go there and basically check on her and tell her, you know, you can't be using this right now. You can't be using it here. And she says, you know, what are you going to do? Give me a citation type thing. Um, And I think what a lot of the officers relayed, though, in that frustration and the belief that people aren't actually seeking treatment voluntarily is that they also believe that a lot of folks are kind of wanting treatment. So they believe that the criminal justice system isn't necessarily the clear path to getting people towards treatment, but they also don't see another path. Uh, Hmm. They don't see a clear point of contact, and that's really a major point of concern as well. Um, So that kind of like wraps into a second kind of takeaway, which is they feel a little bit of – not necessarily trepidation, but ambiguous feelings towards what their role is in society now, especially now that a lot of their tools are being taken away incrementally, so it seems, and in some ways rapidly when you think about the appellate decisions as of late, which has required that they can't stop a motor vehicle with uh, uh, due to um, a, a busted uh, light, for instance, or they can't talk to the person outside of the actual stop re- uh, reason. So a lot of times they'll see they'll feel those those tools being taken away from them and then they'll relate it back and say well the biggest thing that i can point to is measure 110 this is the really the the impetus for it and so they're really kind of confused about what they should be doing and how they should be doing their job if i could just go back i mean are mm-hmm. there numbers to support the the lack of citations i mean if if you compared citations now to Possession possession charges pre measure one ten. What do you find? Well, essentially, so if you were to examine it, which we did, um, examine the number of arrests and even proactive stops compared to the number of citations that are given, even when you add the citations and the current arrest, because you can still get arrested for a misdemeanor, just a matter of quantity, or even arrested for a felony, it's just a matter of quantity in terms of like possession. Uh, when you stack those, when you add them together, they're still at about 30, 31% less than what you saw prior to the pandemic. And so uh, – and that, that, that has to do with like PCS arrests, so possession arrests. So the numbers bear, bear out what the officers have been telling you, that, that, they are, that they are encountering people, unless there was a huge drop in, in usage of illicit substances, which is very unlikely over that time period. Yeah. So police officers are saying that that um, they're not giving out citations because citations are not really leading to treatment, that the linkage is broken there. But did the old system work? I mean, did the criminalization of hard drugs actually lead large numbers of people to get clean? There's very limited evidence to support that it did, right? And in, in, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that a lot of particular – uh, marginalized communities were were negatively impacted by that policy and approach, which was often characterized by the war on drugs. And then uh, everything you've just said, the, that was one of the, the biggest reasons that the proponents of Measure 110 you know, would, would talk about when they talked, when they were trying to get voters to, to, to pass it. I mean, that's exactly what people would say. Yes, precisely. So um, the one of the biggest arguments is that you shouldn't need a felony on your record or even a misdemeanor on your record in order to get some type of substance abuse treatment um, that 
you know, you would otherwise need insurance for, which a lot of these folks do not have insurance, obviously. Um, so, you know, putting that forward, it's an easy way to say, yes, make substance use a treatment available for everybody. Unfortunately, um, as of late, uh, in, in about 2020, Oregon was ranked 47th to 50th in terms of availability for substance use treatment. One of the... Um issues that we talked about or we heard from Portland Police Chief Chuck Lavelle last week is that because of the the lack of uh, – because of the decriminalization and the inability to sort of roll people up higher in a chain, it's harder to build cases against dealers. Is there data to back that up? Um, we don't have a ton of quantitative data to uh, – that would allow us to peer into the practice of using informants. And the practice of, you know, actually investigating of various types of uh, uh, drug manufacturing and sales, that type of thing. Um, but when we when we look at the overall use of essentially arrests, we can see that yeah, it's a it's obviously decreasing. You would expect once a law to say you can no longer really arrest for a misdemeanor or a felony uh, unless it's there's a particular quantity, and it's really difficult to determine that quantity unless you can actually find it on their person, probably for another, a different type of stop, uh, then yeah, it's going to, those arrests, those PCS arrests, those possession arrests are going to fall off the map, which they have. Hmm. Nothing happens in a vacuum, especially when we're talking about really complex uh, systems that are all tied together. Um, and I'm here, I'm thinking about, for example, the uh, gigantic gap in public defenders um, on the criminal justice side or the the rise of fentanyl that that happened right around the time that um, that measure 110 was was being passed how do you control for all this how do you separate all this out as a researcher when you're trying to figure out what has measure 110 meant so i think that's a really good question and it's some it's an important point as to why we're saying it's still just like the Secretary of State's office and their audit recently said it's too early to tell. We need more follow-up time. We need more measures that we're able to collect at the aggregate level, so at the county level, to say what is it about the county or the state or at this time compared to times previously that has changed or has impacted the the trends as of late. Right. So, the more follow-up time we have, the the more we're able to actually control for different things like, um, you know, single-parent households, uh, folks who are below the poverty line, the proportion of a county that uh, is high school um, actually got their high school education. So those types of large aggregate and economic kind of factors we're trying to control for as we examine it. But there hasn't been enough time since Measure 110 took hold, and especially since the money got rolled out for the substance use treatment to be beefed up. I know you didn't focus for this study on overdose rates or drug-related hospitalizations, but you did include a fascinating graph at the end of your study. It shows drug-related deaths from all 50 states from 2008 until last year. And basically, the whole time, Oregon has been in the middle of the pack, which was a little bit of a surprise to me, given the way we talk about or see the severity of the crisis here. 
And then you, you can see an increase in uh, drug overdose deaths or drug-related deaths since Measure 110 was passed in Oregon. But it's basically the same exact increase that we see nationwide. Every state has gone up significantly. I mean, the trend is, is the same in Oregon as all around the country, likely due to fentanyl. At least that was my read on that graph. What does that graph tell you? So it, this this I, I appreciate that question a lot because it blends right into this third kind of major takeaway, which is this concern over public safety and the, what what Measure One Hundred and Ten means in relation to public safety, especially when it comes to drug overdoses. And that graph really tells me that it can't just be Measure One Hundred and Ten. At least not right now. We can't. We don't have enough evidence to suggest that it is just Measure One Hundred and Ten. Because if it was just Measure One Hundred and Ten, then we would see only overdose deaths spiking here in Oregon and everywhere else would be either decreasing from the pandemic or they'd be kind of flatlining. Um, then that's not necessarily the case, right? Especially when you think of what we've been examining some or talking to folks who uh, do um, high drug trafficking corridor uh, investigations and drug interdiction. And when they're talking about where how fentanyl gets here and the process that it goes through either through California or other southern states off to the east, that we don't we see these the similar types of spikes, especially in Arizona, um, that we would be seeing here, and it might have something to do with fentanyl. It might also have to do with methamphetamine, and the fact that that substance is get, seems to be getting a little bit stronger, according to recent reports. So uh, it's it's really difficult to say that you you can't say that it's Measure One Ten alone. Uh, it has much more to do with the pandemic because it's really kind of a sustained increase since the beginning of the pandemic, which has been a much more fascinating, larger phenomenon. Christopher Campbell, thanks very much. Thank you. Christopher Campbell is an associate professor of criminology at Portland State University and a co-author of a new study. This one looked into law enforcement's attitudes of Measure 110, which decriminalized all drugs in Oregon. Future studies by the same team will look into prosecutors and other aspects of this major change in the state.